Hey there, Formillo, I'm Preston, and you are listening to SideGig, the show about what it really takes to start and run a successful side hustle. You know the hosts of today's episode. There's Ryan, Ian, and me, Preston. We've all built growing side businesses while thriving at a nine-to-five desk job. And on today's episode, we ask a really tough question. When is the right moment to take your side hustle full-time? While not everyone with a side hustle aspires to quit their day job, plenty of people can't wait until that perfect moment to give their two-week notice and start working for themselves. The only problem? Identifying that perfect moment. Today's conversation with the guys should help. We explore a few important considerations you should think through before up and quitting, plus a few signs you've been waiting too long to start working for yourself. It's one of our most interesting conversations yet, and I'm sure you're going to love it. Show notes for this episode are found at sidegigshow.com slash 2.7, and I'd like to thank this season's sponsor, Find Sidegigs. They're a 100% free lead generation service for freelancers and sidegiggers who are ready to take their business to the next level. Subscribe to the free weekly gig list at sidegigshow.com slash find, and every week they'll send you premium jobs you can complete in your free time boosting your side hustle revenue, and introducing you to clients that can become the lifeblood of your business. One more time, that's sidegigshow.com slash find, where you can sign up 100% free to get started. Let's jump right into today's conversation, and I'll be back at the end of the show for some parting thoughts. Uh, I personally wanted to explore this because what I find interesting is now all of us have taken what used to be a side business, and now we spend a lot more time Let's see. Are we all full time? Ryan's full time. I'm. I'm not full time. I'm part time. But there's a reason for that. Is because um I've got a mortgage and with freelance, uh the banks don't take the freelance ah. uh, money as actual income until you've got three years worth. So I have to keep my other job and be, because I've got I need to renew my mortgage in. Uh, April, I think. So in April, but, but I think, we'll see. <laughs> I think that's okay because <laughs> what's interesting now about our situation is, Ryan, you left your job. I hung on to my job until I was let go because I was, you know, wondering when the right time to take my side business full time was. Ian, you've mm-hmm. let part of your job go, but you're mm-hmm. still holding on to another part of it while while your side business is like thriving. And so, I, I, I did technically actually hand oh, in my you? notice. So I did actually make that choice to actually go full time. But, you know, after a conversation with them, I agreed to stay there part time, which worked for me and it worked for them. It was a perfect situation. Awesome. I just think I think we're in it. We have a unique sort of three different perspectives on when the right moment is or or how the right moment can impact your business or your personal life. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll start it off by asking, like, when if you guys had to just put your cards on the table right now, put a stake in the ground and, and say, this is the right, this is how you know it's the right time to leave your job and work on your business full time. How do you know? Oof. I've got very strong feelings about this one. Personally, I have, I really sort of approach this with like a formulaic mindset. Um, and I think, you know, personally speaking, everyone should have a different equation that leads them there if you're going to take sort of a formulaic approach to determining when the right time is to quit your job. But for me personally, um, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have all all these like strings attached to my life that that really make it, you know, dangerous, you could say, to jump over to working full time on my own project. So for me, I kind of looked at it as like, okay, I just want to have 75% of my 
full-time income, like when I have a full-time job, I want to hit 75% of that coming in from the side on top of my full-time income. And for me, it's really that simple. I think you can like, you know, you can look at your pipeline if you're doing freelance work, like examine, okay, if, if I if I hit that 75% threshold today, but I don't have any more projects booked or any more leads booked, you know, in the pipeline um, in the future, then that might be an issue. Well, but I think it's an interesting approach to, to say like, okay, when I have a certain percentage of my income, that's the right time. I think I've heard, you know, I've heard all over the board. I've heard like if you have X amount of dollars in savings or X percent of your revenue is coming from your side business. I've heard some people say it should be double because of all the extra expenses that you'll have, you know, uh, health insurance or whatever, like any, any extra expenses that your company might be paying for, you want to double that. And then they set this huge goal of like doubling their, you know, $80,000 a year job or whatever on their side business. And it can really balloon out of control. So I've got really mixed um, feelings about this because with, uh, with what I'm doing, I never actually plan to take it full time. That was never actually the goal. But, you know, building it, it was probably after about the three year period, the, the, the business grows and, you know, you have to uh, spend time working on it. Um, so, for example, if you're building an audience, you've got a commitment to them. And if you want to keep building, it, you have to spend time on it. And um, if you're building a site that's generating leads, obviously you have to um, get back to those people or kind of give up. So I, I actually got to this point where um, I felt overwhelmed. You know, I had a full-time job and then I had this side venture that was just too much. And um, it was literally through personal circumstances, you know, like um, a year and a half ago, my mum passed away and I spent time in this... Um, old people's home and I saw people you know basically at the end of their life and it started to make me think okay when I'm that old am I gonna look back and think what if and it was thinking that way that actually led me to take that leap because I, I knew that if I dedicated all my time and energy to this thing I could make it work and I had a platform um, where I was generating leads already. So I knew that if I actually, you know, put more effort into it, I could make it work. So I didn't really have, you know, a set amount of income that was coming in. It was just purely, um, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, be, be like an 80 year old looking back on life thinking, I wish I did that, or at least I wish I tried. So I thought I'd try, see what happens. And, you know, if it was going to go wrong, I'd go back. But, you know, that it was that that made me take that leap. I think it's fair to mention at this point that we don't, we're not necessarily saying you have to take your side business full time. You know, Chris Gillibo, for example, is, is a big fan of saying like, you never have to take it full time if you don't want to. It's, it's a great, it, it's a great like confidence booster. It's a great extra income. You know, you could end up having basically a, a two income lifestyle but like you don't have to take it full time. But I think the question for today is if you want to, when is the right moment? And Ryan, you were going to say something. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The, what I was going to say was I, th I thought it was really interesting when you started talking about what your income level was. So matching it with side income, um, you said we, 
And I think that's a really important distinction mm-hmm. to make and, and kind of like involving the different stakeholders in your life with this decision. So not not making this decision of like, okay, 75% is good enough or 100% or, you know, doubling it is what I need um, and making that decision in a silo, but rather sort of involving your spouse or your children or, you know, all the different types of people who are invested in your life. And I think that's really important to mention. Too. That's funny. I did that without I noticing, obviously. Um but I think it's, yeah, I think it's a really good point. Mm-hmm. We, we, there I go again. We, we looked, I think I've shared this story on the show when, when I lost my job, I, <clears throat> I crunched the numbers and I had sort of been crunching numbers or looking at the numbers for a long time, wondering when was the right moment to leave my job or do my own thing. But when it like became real, I really got nitty gritty with, with the numbers and, um, and then we were both pleasantly surprised to like see what kind of runway we were able to pull off. Like we said, if we if we spend what we currently spend now every month, we can last for it was something like fourteen months or something. Like it was it was way more than we sort of expected. And so I, I don't know if that's part of the conversation too, is like, you know, there are other things besides just the money that that hold you back for sure. I think there were emotional things holding me back or security things, or I don't know. There were other things holding me back besides the money. Ryan, I don't know if you experienced that at all. Other things. I know, I know, like you said, our life situation is a little different. So you didn't have the worry of a mortgage or a family, but um, were there other things that were sort of crossing your mind as you were trying to make that decision of, of, of leaving your job? Oh, 100%. I think um, one thing that was top of mind for me was sort of like, what's the right way to phrase this? Maybe self-doubt or having, you know, my background, I've quit a job and launched into my own business twice in the past, right? And so I have kind of this like scarred uh, memory of of basically quitting a job too soon, um, the startup going under because we didn't anticipate our cash flow the right way. And then, you know, moving in with my parents for six months and in Cowtown, uh, Central California. And so for me, that took, you know, six months to a year after I moved out with my parents to really get back on my feet and, and rebuild my confidence level and start going on a new side project. Um, so yeah, I would say the self doubt or not having the confidence or, you know, even just fear is, mm-hmm. is sort of at play at all times. And I so my big question is then people. how do you know, like if the fear never goes away, how do you know when the fear is protecting you and being rational? And how do you know when it's irrational fear and you just have to face it? Because if, if it's always there and I think it always will be there, like I even have it still <laughs> working for myself full time, the fear is there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but how do you, how do you identify that moment when, enough is enough and, and you're ready to, to take the step. I know in my case, um, it was very much that even though it wasn't necessarily, you know, financial income, I knew based on the number of inquiries that were coming in, there was enough um, leads there in order to make enough money. Because what I, what I did is I worked out how much I actually needed to earn in order to live, like the the bare minimum. And that bare minimum isn't actually that much. Like it is a couple of grand. And providing I was to do one project a week, only one project a week, um, I would actually cover those costs. And um, bearing in mind that each week I'm probably getting like a hundred inquiries. 
all I need to do is convert one of those. So even though like I wasn't actually you know matching my income with um with the number of projects I was bringing in, like basically I I wasn't able to um do that much work. But I I worked out that I was probably gonna be completely 100% safe working for myself. We did something similar there. I go with that we again. I did something similar uh, where I was saying like, okay, if I'm working two hours a day on the train, for example, for those who know kind of my story of side hustling, if I'm working two hours a day and I can make this much, then let's say I work six or eight hours a day. How much, obviously like it's not gonna be hour for hour, dollar for dollar, but we can expect at least that we should at least be able to make this much and and also hopefully that there's like some some uh, like compound effect with with the hours that you you know instead of a half hour or or 45 minutes on the train into work and then taking a whole day to work for someone else and then 45 minutes on the way back and all, and getting two tiny little pockets to get things done in uh, what if i could crunch it all into six straight hours of just working on the projects that are most important to the business and that's that's proven true so far but that was a big consideration for me as well was saying here's what i'm pulling off in the amount of time that i have what if i had way more time mm -hmm. I'd, I'd add another thing too i have a um one friend in particular that comes to mind who's kind of always been like an accountability accountability buddy rather for me um so he's he's always worked been working in his own startups um he and i sort of keep each other accountable um with monthly and weekly um, goal check-ins. We set, you know, milestones. We check in with each other and say, okay, what's your progress towards X this week or next month, you know? Um, and so with him, he was someone who was actually a really big driving force in helping me make the decision to go full-time with my own stuff uh, two years ago. Um, he was kind of just like, dude, are you serious? Like, why would you not be seriously considering this? And And right around the time when I did quit and go full-time with my own stuff. Um, I had just booked a very large contract that would more than pay for, you know, replacing my full-time income at the same time. And so he's the one who kind of like really helped me um, realize that I would be okay, at least for, you know, the six-month duration that this contract would last and that I would be able to, you know, figure it out moving forward. And so I'd say, you know, the, the takeaway there for me is that having other people who can give you outside feedback, you know, kind of like from the, the outside looking in, right? Like the picture looks different to someone else and it's easy to get wrapped up in your mind with all the stressors you have and all the, you know, if you're carrying around some of that self-doubt or a lack of confidence, um, sometimes it helps just to have conversations with other people about that. I agree with that. I, I think I had lots of people saying like you're you're crazy to not just when they would find out that my business was making as much as i was making at my desk job right there was that moment where that tipping point where some of my closest friends or coworkers knew that or learned that somehow and they were just kind of like you're nuts to not just do your own thing how can you how can you not be doing that and and i started running out of good reasons you know what I mean? That's when I started to feel like, and I think I've said on this show, I feel like I actually missed my moment to just quit my job. And I'm thankful for the time that I had at this startup that I worked at. But but I sort of felt like it, I had, you know, the analogy of the golden handcuffs. I felt like I had sort of handcuffed myself to this company and 
weirdly, luckily enough, you know, eight months later, they ran out of financial runway. But, but, but I missed this moment when everyone was saying you really should do your own thing. I took another job. And so, but, but, but the, I guess the moral of the story is like, I was running out of good excuses, right? People are like, you make this much money. You, you know, you're, you clearly know what you're doing. You've built this asset. It's not like you're starting from scratch. And so I started running out of good excuses for not doing it. I think what you said then is probably the most important thing here is that you actually built an asset and you had something there already. And I I don't think you can um, like actually go full time unless you already have something established there that is bringing in money or sales or whatever in some way. Um, so that's, you know, that's the key part to actually have something that is already generating in already generating an income in some way. I agree. I would never advocate that someone, especially someone with a family and a mortgage, I mean, it may be different if you're, you know, 22 or something and and have very few sort of obligations that you have to meet. But um, no offense to anyone who's 22. I <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I just think I would never advocate that someone just up and leave their job just because they hate their job or something i i always tell people like build something ahead of time on the side so that and that's the sort of the point of this whole show meaning not this episode this whole show this podcast is like build something on the side so that you have more flexibility to quit if you want to to have double income if you want to whatever you, whatever you want your lifestyle to look like a side gig can help you do that mm-hmm. so preston i actually have a related question for you that that i was just thinking about as you were speaking earlier is um, maybe particularly relevant for people in the U.S., but um, what have you guys decided to do about healthcare now that you're full-time yourself? You know, that's the biggest in question. In the U.K., Sorry. we have the NHS, so I don't need to worry about that from my side. And what's NHS? Tell us real quick. Like, what's the uh, We've got the National Health Service, which is um, paid by the government. So everyone in the U.K. basically gets free um medical care so if we need an operation or we need to go to the doctor or anything like that it's free Sheesh. um there, i mean there there is private care um but i've always used the free nhs it's you know it's 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 a very good system here that's fantastic i might just move to the uk i yeah. <laughs> that's it's ryan it's maybe the most common question i get you know i've been back to visit a few people who are who I'm very good friends with who are working corporate still. I chat with a lot of friends who are still working at their jobs. They're interested in learning about what I'm doing. And that I don't think I've told anyone what's what I'm doing that hasn't asked me about that. You know what I mean? Um, what we have done is here in the US, uh, there's something called Obamacare or the or uh the Affordable Care Act. Um, and what the Affordable Care Act is, which I didn't know a lot about, I heard about it on NPR like all the time, but I never really paid attention to it because I didn't need it. Um, basically, what it does is it subsidizes your healthcare costs. So, um, based on how much revenue I project I will make in, for example, 2018 when I applied last year in during open enrollment, um, <clears throat> they will subsidize a certain portion, you know, based on how many kids I have and how much I anticipate I will make. Uh, they will subsidize a certain portion of my healthcare costs. So then in the affordable healthcare uh, marketplace, there are different providers and you, you pick a plan as if you were buying it from the provider. I mean, you are buying it from the provider. So you, sorry, this is into the weeds a little bit and you stop me if I get too deep here, but um, basically you, no, you, you pick a plan uh, from a provider 
And then the government tells you how much of that plan they'll cover. So, the, or they'll actually, it's actually a verse of that. They'll say like, we'll cover, you know, $800 a month of your healthcare costs. Go find the plan that works for you. So then you go shop the plans and they're like, you know, $1,600 or something. But in the back of your mind, you know that you're getting an $800 subsidy or something. By the way, I'm making up these numbers entirely. I'm not very good at remembering numbers like that. But um, Is there an income threshold where they will no longer cover you like if you make over a certain amount i don't i don't know what the amount is um there is a there is a point at which they don't cover you anymore so uh like i have a friend for example who a couple of years before i left my job or lost my job he left uh to start just doing something else and he was sort of freelancing for a while he estimated his income and then he made like double or something i can't remember but he made a lot more than he thought he was going to make and it, he ended up having to pay back all those subsidies at tax season so that's sort of the that's sort of the 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 rub if you will is come tax season if if you said you were going to make 60 grand or something you know during the year and it turns out you made 150 grand then the subsidies that they gave you based on the 60 thousand dollar estimate all have to be paid back at tax season so it's it, wow. the, the goal is to sort of estimate as accurately as possible and also save money in case it's it's kind of like doing taxes at all if you you know if you've done your taxes here in the u.s you, you um especially if you've done like side hustling or, or self-employment you know that you usually end up paying taxes not getting a tax refund mm -hmm. if you just work a corporate job you usually get a tax refund but when you're working for yourself, a lot of times you either break even or end up paying the government more. And so that's something you have to keep in mind is you might have to pay back some of those subsidies. Now, you know, you pay it out of the money that you made doing much better for yourself. So it's still fine. You're not having to scrounge up the money somewhere. But if you reinvested that money in your business, that could be a problem potentially. So it's just good to know sort of best and worst case scenarios. Like I know my worst case scenario, my best case scenario of what I'll have to pay come tax season. Um, and, and then obviously what I pay on a month to month basis and what the government will subsidize on a month to month basis. But yeah, the Affordable Care Act is for is especially helpful for sort of self-employed and, and this kind of situation where you don't have an employer who can subsidize your health care. I mean, they, they're just doing basically what your employer would be doing if you had an employer. I think it's probably yeah. worth adding yeah, that in, in the UK, even though we do have the NHS, um, because I'm um, um, I. I've got my own house. If I get really ill and I'm not able to actually work, I've got insurance to cover that. You know, so it means that my mortgage still gets paid. You know, I get a chunk of money if I come down with anything. So, you know, as a freelancer, you do need to consider those things, even though in the UK we've got the, the free NHS. That's a good thing to bring wow. up. So it sounds like if you want to freelance, move to the UK. <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> I know there are other places in the world that are way better than the US for self-employment and freelancing and that sort of thing in terms of healthcare um, and, and some other factors as well, um, just because, you know, the Milo community is from all over the world. And so I've heard discussions like this about what other countries offer. To be fair, just, just to be 100% clear, I probably made mistakes explaining the uh, Affordable Care Act just now, and we don't know all the ins and outs. Please, like, speak with a, a someone who does this professionally if you're considering it and healthcare is a huge question for you, like figure out all the details before you make the leap, I, I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Now, one big thing that we haven't actually spoken about is that I think that if you're actually going to take the leap, I think you need some kind of um, 
financial backup plan you know so maybe um two months of what you need um or two or three months worth kind of savings in the bank as a backup plan should for whatever reason your first month or second month go really badly at least you can keep trying and keep working on um that business building it full time and you got that backup plan just in case like a safety net Absolutely. And depending on your situation, I'd even say six months or, you know, but I sort of lean on the more conservative side, obviously, but I'd say even six to eight months of, of safety net really takes the pressure off so that you can build your business the right way. Otherwise, you start cutting corners and trying to make money any way you can and taking bad clients or like swindling people out of money. You just make bad decisions when you're in a crunch for money. You know what I mean? I think based on that as well, it's, it's worth mentioning that you need to work out like basically how much your um, life costs. Like if you work it out, it's actually not as much as what you think it is. Like in my right. case, it's way lower than what I imagined. So I, I know as long as I make that much, I'm fine. Like I can eat, I can, I can live, you know, I, I, I can't maybe go out or anything like that, but at least if I make that much money, I'm actually okay. And if you, if you're able to work that out you, and, you know, make that much money, you, you'll be fine. So something else that, that I don't think we've mentioned yet that is very closely related to this sort of like financial savings thing is, um, the last time that I quit my full-time job in, in sort of like a, a way to give myself mental insurance um, that I wouldn't be completely screwed if this contract I booked went south um, was I, I gave myself a deadline. So I said like, okay, if by the end of six months after I'm working full time for myself, I'm not earning as much as I was for my day job or, you know, 25% more to factor in all the additional costs of, of working for myself, then I'm going to actually start looking for another job. And luckily I, I stayed above that threshold that I set for myself. But I think that's, that's kind of an, an extra way to give yourself a little bit more, um, I guess, incentive an agreement with yourself. Like, okay, if, if this isn't going well by X date, then I'm going to start looking for a job again. I think that's a great way to do it. We've done something similar. Instead of doing it by date, we've said if our savings or our, our runway is what I commonly call it, if our runway dips below a certain amount, you know, which equals maybe three or four months worth of what we could what we could spend. Uh, if it dips below that amount, then it's time to start looking for a job. And and it might be a like part-time that. job or, or you know, something else, a, a contract job or something, but it's like time to start looking for something that will be a little bit more predictable. And and luckily, I've been able to, to build the business to where I don't think we're ever going to hit that mark, but we do have that mark in the back of our minds. And, and it, it actually gives you a little more confidence when you're leaving to say like, you know what, worst case scenario, I can't build a business and... I end up failing and and when I have three months of savings still left, I just go find another job and everything returns back to how it was before. And yes, that's not ideal probably, but like it can work, you know, you won't die. Mm -hmm. And I mean, most of us, we got family. Um, I mean, not everyone does, but like in my case, if everything did go completely wrong, I think this is in... Um, I can't think what the book is the four hour work week 
it says in there that you know most people worst case scenario like if you if you lost absolutely everything you can probably go and sleep on a family member's sofa or floor or whatever you know there's the the absolute worst case scenario in most cases if, if everything did go wrong is actually not that bad yeah there's lots of options i've i've sort of had my eyes open to other options as well like you can take out what's called a home equity line of credit on your house so if you've paid down a certain amount on your mortgage and that and the mortgage is something that's scaring you about leaving your job, there's actually loans you can get against your house. And you want to be careful, obviously, with these kind of things. But if you needed a couple more months runway in order to feel confident, you can rest assured that you have a certain amount of equity in your home that you could cash out and use that money to survive while you're getting your business off the ground. Again, this is all very like, uh, you know know your numbers, know your situation. I, I wouldn't recommend anyone just do this sort of on a whim, but there are options. And I think that can be really helpful when you're trying to make the decision to know that most of the reasons you're not doing it, and I can I can say this personally because I was forced into the situation. Most of the reasons you're not doing it are all are internal and they're, they're psychological. Like, you know, the minute I lost my job, I realized we can figure this out. We We've got this. Like, the, like, We'll just hunker down and figure out what we need to do to make the money work. And, and it's worked out so far. So I, I think, I think it's, it can be really easy to, to play to those fears for too long. And I know I did definitely, if I could go back and do it again, I, I think I would have, you know, quit much sooner. So. I've got something else to add as well. Like, um, when you work for yourself, you can work anywhere. Like most people choose to move where they live because it's near where they work. But when you work um, freelance, you can go anywhere. So what I've actually done, and um, it was intentional, if you work out your living costs, where I used to live, which was uh, very near London, my living costs was crazy. You know, it, it was uh, two and a half grand, say. It was quite a lot of money. But I was able to actually relocate, you know, somewhere where I could still easily get into London, but it's... Um, like in the UK, it's like a good um, three hours drive up north. The living costs are drastically lower and you've got that option to do. So my, my living costs are almost half what they used to be, but I'm still able to make the same amount of income. And, you know, that just means, you know, when I like at the moment, I'm part time. But if I did choose to actually go full time, which I can imagine I will, I know that my living costs are relatively low. So, you know, choose where you live. You know, there's, there's always cheaper places. Love that. Yeah, I think so often your location is determined by your job. And when, yeah, yeah. like you said, yeah. when, when you're your own boss, you decide where you work. That can, it can get a little complicated, you know, if you have a family and a mortgage. But, yeah. but again, not as complicated as you maybe are picturing in your mind. I think that's maybe the big takeaway for me is like, I was building this up way too big in my mind. And then when I was forced into the situation, it worked out and it's been great so far, like beyond great. It's been really fantastic. I wonder if, yeah, if same, same for me, I wonder if we can wrap up this episode by asking sort of the opposite of the question we posed at the beginning of the show, which was when is the right time to leave your job and work on your side gig full time? I'd like to ask the opposite of that, which is when is not the right time um, I think it could provide maybe some interesting insight uh, for people. I'll start, I'll give you guys a second to think through that because we didn't prep that question ahead of time. But when is not the right time? When is the wrong time, I should say, to 
leave your job and work on your business full time. I think a common one is when you hate your job. You know, I've heard of people who quit their job and start, quote unquote, start working on a business all because they hate their boss or hate their job or can't stand a coworker or can't stand the company or something like, guess that sucks. We get it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are cut out to be an entrepreneur or at this moment in your life, you're meant to build a business. And so I think that's maybe not the right moment necessarily to try to build a business full time. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think another one is even just if you don't have something that already has traction, right? So we've all mentioned, you know, Preston, you built up this asset with your website, the community, all these things that you've been investing years and years and years in in before you left your job. And Ian, you have a massive pipeline of deals that sort of solidified this, this um, confidence in your mind. Like, okay, even if I do quit, I'm not going to be, you know, hungry and out on the street, right? So that would be something that I would just reiterate is, is I don't ever advise to anyone to quit their jobs without already having a substantial amount of like income locked in and confidence about the future of that income, I think is also equally important. So if you don't already have an asset that's bringing you something or a way to, you know, get reliable amount of leads for a service-based business, then don't do it yet. I think as well, you need some kind of um, safety net. Like if you don't have some kind of safety net, say for example, you don't have um, some savings to fall back on or you don't have, like say if you if you live somewhere where there are literally no jobs, if there's nothing to fall back onto, I think, you know, and, and you're not 100% certain that everything's going to work, I think it's dangerous to do that. I, I would make sure that you do have, um, you know, some savings in the bank account for at least a couple of months and you know something to fall back onto should everything go wrong for me the big takeaway here is plan for failure but don't let don't let the idea of failing cripple you and hold you back from because you have just as good of odds of succeeding as you do at failing probably better chances of succeeding especially like you guys said if you've been side hustling for a while and you've you've sort of proven yourself. Yeah. I think, I think just be smart about it is maybe the the best way to sum up everything that we've said today. Every situation, unfortunately, you know, we wish we could give you like this magic formula to say when X equals Y, that's when you should quit your job and take your side hustle full time. Unfortunately, everybody's situation is so different that we can't do that. Uh, so I guess our advice is to be smart about it, to know your situation and uh, and take a little bit of risk, but also have a like you guys said a fallback and a safety net. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Yeah. And I'll add even just sort of um, related to what you just said, Preston. Um, maybe the next best next best thing, if we can't give you a formula, if you want to ask us for feedback or ask me for feedback, even um, I'll give you really honest feedback if I think you're ready or not. If you sort of like you know, if you email me, you tell me where you're at, what's going on in the side project land, or you know, what your thoughts are on why you want to quit and why you think you're ready or why you don't think you're ready. Um, I'd be more than willing to give you very candid feedback and you can reach me, my email address anytime, ryan at ryrob.com. Yeah, I mean, you can do the same thing with me on Twitter, Preston D. Lee, or you can email shows at co, and I'll make sure the other guys see any emails that come through on this topic. We're happy to chat with anybody. 
about this kind of thing. Yeah, and me too. Um, on Twitter at Logo underscore Geek. I've, I've also got the um, Facebook community community for Logo Geek. There's got loads of people in there as well. They're always happy to help. Yeah, I think if you want feedback on if it's the right time or not, uh, there are plenty of people in the world who will give you that feedback, and we're happy to do that as well. Absolutely. Perfect. Great. Well, anything, any last minute parting thoughts before we wrap up this episode, guys? I think it's been a great one. I don't think so. Loads of good advice here. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. And that's the show for you folks. You know, we make this show for you, whether you're an aspiring side hustler or just weeks away from taking your side hustle full time. We put a lot of care and preparation into the show every week, and we'd love a quick review and rating on the Apple podcast app. Tell us what you like, what you dislike, and what you'd like us to cover in upcoming episodes. As a reminder, show notes for this episode are found at sidegigshow.com slash 2.7. And one last shout out to this season's sponsor, Find Sidegigs. Thank you so much, guys. You can sign up for their free weekly lead generation email at sidegigshow.com slash find. We'll see you next week with our last episode of season two. And until then, we wish you the very best in your side hustle journey.